Hi, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look at how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, I catch up with Jonathan Davis, author of the Investment Trust Handbook. Jonathan is one of the UK's leading investment writers and has considerable knowledge and experience on investment trusts. We've got loads to cover, including investment trust discount opportunities, wealth preservation strategies, Scottish mortgage, and some thoughts from both of us on how we think the investment trust industry will change over the next decade. So Jonathan, as you mentioned in your editor's notes in the latest version of the Investment Trust Handbook, 2022 was a year to forget for the great majority of investors. Looking ahead to 2023, the outlook remains highly uncertain. But for long-term investors, there are plenty of opportunities to pick up some potential bargains. What would you highlight as the most attractive areas on a discount basis? Well, thank you, Carl. Yes, it was a pretty grim year for last year, no doubt about it. And it has created some discount opportunities. That's always, uh, if you like, the good, the good part about bad years is that discounts tend to widen and you get these opportunities. I would, well, there's several I would pick out, actually, at the moment. Uh, my favourite uh, area to go looking would be uh, UK smaller companies, uh, where there's a lot of trust with long records, very good managers, uh, had experience of bear markets before. The UK market looks cheap. Uh, has done for a while, of course. Uh, and some of these uh, trusts are on a significant discount. So uh, Aberdeen, UK smaller company growth, where Harry Nimmo has just retired, that's on 13% discount. Henderson smaller companies, uh, 11. BlackRock smaller companies, 14. Aberforth and 12% discount. Those all look very attractive from a long-term perspective. They will come back and they will do very well. Um, and I'd also perhaps uh, quickly pick out um, a couple of others that uh, look good to me. Uh, I do think that emerging markets and Europe are going to do relatively well in the coming period. Uh, And uh, so I'd be looking at something like um, uh, in Europe, looking at uh, European Opportunities Trust, uh, which is on a 14% discount. And I also like uh, in the alternative sector, I like like the Music Royalty Trust, where I think they, if they don't uh, solve their valuation problems, they're going to get uh, bids from somebody else. Uh, they're on, you know, song, hypnosis songs, 46% discount. Uh, and uh, in the renewables, I'm also still quite keen on the renewables, despite their recent sell-off. So something like Octopus Renewables Investment Trust uh, on a ticker of, uh, on, a, on a, sorry, on a discount of about 11%. So those all look pretty good to me. And I've been actually putting some money there myself. They all sound very sensible. And, you know, as you mentioned um, at the beginning of your answer, when it's been a bad year, that is when the time that is when it's the time to potentially consider buying low, and obviously investors can do that through investment trusts because um, when investment trusts are trading on a discount, they're trading for less than the sum of its parts. Um, but I think for investors, it's important to caveat that over the long term, it is the net asset value performance. So, in other words, the performance of the underlying investments held by the trust that will be the biggest influence over the overall total returns. While it's great to you know potentially buy on a discount, I think over the long term the proof is very much in the performance pudding, and hopefully you know if the trust does perform well over time, then that discount will narrow. And I think the other thing to bear in mind is that in general, investment trusts they have a greater tendency to converge to their mean discount rather than the, rather than the value of the uh, of their underlying investments. Jonathan, when you're sizing up investment trust potential bargain opportunities. Do you look at you know what the investment trust is trading at today and compare that against say its history over one, three and five years? And do you also take a look at the wider sector as well? 
yes, I do all of those things. Um, I mean, what you say is absolutely correct. Over the longer term, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, uh, if you've got the same manager, certainly at a trust, uh, you know, that they will ride out the discount movements. There's no doubt about that. Um, and uh, the majority of the return will come from how well they perform, which is as it should be. Uh, and in the handbook, I give, you know, examples of the best performers over those longer periods. Uh, and, you, and I keep coming back to those trusts myself. Uh, so you have to look in detail at their, uh, you know, at their performance and also whether they use a lot of gearing and so on, which can make a difference. Uh, but you're absolutely right uh, that, um, so what, what you have to do is you have to put up with the volatility as if you're a buy and hold investor, uh, but you have to be ready to take advantage of some tactical opportunities if they're there. Uh, and they do come around from time to time, but you shouldn't really be chopping and changing all the time just because a discount is there. It's uh, it's an additional factor rather than the, the mainstream factor. You're right about that. And of course, there's always a specific reason why an investment trust is on a, on a discount. You know, it could be poor sentiment towards the region it invests in or its investment style. Or indeed, it could be because it's short term performance or even it's longer term performance is you know, lackluster. I mean, in the case of um, smaller companies, you know, one that I do think is attractive, which, which you also mentioned, is Henderson Smaller Companies, managed by Neil Herman. I think this is an example of an investment trust. It's out of favour because it's investing in smaller companies. It's also out of favour because it's investing in the UK. And it's also out of favour because its main focus is buying growth stocks at the right price. So there's three reasons there why it has that wide discount. And for investors willing to take a long-term view, um, you know that discount is potentially a good entry point. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I've been an investor in that one for a long time. And he, Neil Hammond is not a very flashy manager. I quite like that too, actually. Been around for quite a long time now. Uh, and, uh, you know, solid performer. I would just mention, though, that in other cases, particularly when it comes to alternatives, obviously you have to think about whether the discounts are actually, what are they actually telling you? Uh, because in many cases, as we know, in private equity, uh, for example, in commercial property to a lesser extent, they are the NAVs, the net asset values against which the discounts are calculated may be wrong. They may be out of date. Uh, they, they, they tend to come out later uh, and they may lag reality. And so while the private equity trust, for example, on, on very, very big discounts, uh, I don't think you should necessarily buy them just for that reason. They could well have uh, quite a tough year this year, NAVs coming down. So it's not it's not quite as simple as that when you come particularly to the alternatives. Yeah, it's, it's very tricky for investors to know whether those discounts reflect reality. Because as you mentioned, the net asset values, the report are quarterly. So there's a big time and lag of three, potentially four months um, on when those valuations are reported. I think at the moment, a lot of the private equity trusts, you know, the last time they reported their, you know, what the value of the underlying investments are worth was last September at the end of last September. So it's it's tricky for investors to know what they are, are worth today. I noticed actually that Winter Flood, it picked out HG Capital as one of its recommend or one of its investment trust ideas for 2022. Um, obviously, it was pointing out that you know it's it's got a very impressive um, track record over the long term, and the um, the trade the, the trust is currently trading on a discount of just under 16%. But yeah, I think particularly for private investors, it is it is as you mentioned hard to know whether those valuations reflect reality or not. Uh, it is much harder, and if you don't think you understand it, then I, my only advice is don't don't waste your time looking at them. You know, you could always feel sorry that you've missed something, but actually that's not a good way to invest. You only want to invest in something where you think you've got enough information to do that. On HG uh, uh, Capital, I absolutely agree with you. Again, I'm sorry to keep agreeing with you, Kyle, but uh, I'm with winter floods here. I mean, I, that's another one of these long-term ones. They've got a fa fabulous long-term record. 
They've got a team approach. Yes, they invest in technology, but it's very specific areas of technology. Uh, and uh, I think they'll do very well. So I'm, I'm never uh, uncomfortable about buying them, particularly this kind of rating. That does look good, even if the NAV does come down a bit in the next few weeks and months. So the widening of discounts um, in 2022, that was one of the reasons why um, overall investment trusts underperformed funds on a like-for-like basis. And the other main reason was um, gearing, which is the ability of investment trusts to borrow to invest. Does this serve as a reminder to DIY investors that you know some of those investment trust advantages they can be a double-edged sword. Yes, of course. If you you know if to invest in investment trust, you have to understand their nature and where you've got an investment trust that's got gearing. Um, that's going to have an impact when when markets go down. That's going to make things worse. You have to understand that, and also the fact that uh, liquidity factors can be can be at play here, uh, and some things may get sold off not for valid investment reasons, just because big big institutions, for example, need to realise some money quite quickly. So yes, they are. It is the other side, flip side of the coin. But bear in mind that, as I said, investment trusts do provide trading opportunities. But by and large, you want to buy them as buy and hold investors. And if you're a buy and hold investor, you want to do what it says. You want to buy and hold and see out through this volatility uh, and wait for it to come back. Because over time, it always does. And the you know the longer term superior performance justifies, in my view, and I think anybody who invests in investment trusts, you've just got to ride out the volatility uh, if you can. Because of course, as a, if you know, if you're a long-term investor, investing for you know five years or more, ideally, and think you can be less hung up on the fact that you know if you buy an investment trust on a say on a discount of fifteen percent, and then it widens out further to say twenty percent, I mean, I think you should be less bothered by that because you should be thinking, okay, the discount today is fifteen percent. In five years' time, I think the performance will improve, and I think that discount will narrow. That's what you, I think. That's the sort of longer-term mindset that you should be um, should be applying. But then you also have to apply the flip side of that as well, uh, in my view. Uh, and that is, if you buy things that are trading on a premium, in other words, they've done very well, they're in demand, they're popular, you've got to be ready for that premium to disappear. Because over time, trust with large premiums, those premiums do tend to disappear. You will get some uh, you know, loss of value from those premiums disappearing and in some cases becoming discounts. We've seen that obviously quite dramatically uh, in the Renewable Energy Trust, for example, because you know, stuff happens. Uh, we had the windfall tax on the, on them and, and rising bond yields aren't good for them. So they've all moved to a discount. Uh, so if you've got a trust which is doing really well and you're saying, my God, I'm really happy with this, but it's trading at a big premium, you want to be careful. You might want to start trimming those and looking at something else which is uh, uh, on a discount uh, for the reasons you've said. And another example, I probably haven't got time to go into it today, is um, Home REIT. You know, a year ago, that trust was trading on a premium. And obviously, you know, a lot's gone on since then. And now it's on a um, very significant discount. Yeah, I think that's a special case, mind you. I think there are reasons why that trust has run into trouble. Uh, <clears throat> and it's been the victim of short sellers attacking it, driving the share price down. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think that's one you want to spend much time looking at. OK, it's on a very, very big discount. It's got problems. But um, I think that's a special case. So uh, I wouldn't generalize from that. I want to next move on to wealth preservation strategies. Um, these types of investment trusts, they're popular with um, our customers. And the three main ones are rougher capital gearing and personal assets. What's your view on these strategies, Jonathan? Do you think that, you know, for investors that are looking for some defensive exposure as part of their portfolio, that they should look no further? Well, I love those trusts, actually. And I've, uh, I've got a lot of money in them myself. 
Uh, and in particular, I went heavily into them at the start of last year, like I think a number of smart investors did. So, you know, people who come to your platform obviously are pretty smart if they've been doing that. Um, but you've got to think about this over the longer term as well. I mean, if you actually buy something like a rougher, uh, you know, uh, as, a, as, a, as a core investment, um, they've actually outperformed the stock market over longer periods of time. It might be surprising because they only, you know, at best they grind out 7% per annum, but that is what you get from a, a stock market over time when you just can sleep more easily because you don't lose money during the bad markets. Um, but I do think at the moment, a uh, lot of money gone into them. They are very popular. They are all issuing a lot of shares, uh, which is fine. They can do that without um, uh, running into capacity problems. Um, but I think you want to be um, uh, a little bit careful. It might be a time to take a little foot off the brake a little bit at the moment because things have been such a bad year. I think the climate is improving for investing looking forward. I would also say, though, that I, in my portfolio, and I, and I suggest others might think about this too, uh, I don't just hold those uh, three ones you mentioned. Uh, I do hold some gold in there as well, and gold is doing well. We could talk about why that is, but I hold that through an ETF, not through an investment trust. Um, and then I also, one other I'd mention is this uh, trust called Global Opportunities Trust, which is uh, used to be uh, Edinburgh Partners Global Opportunities Trust and is managed by a gentleman called Sandy Nairn, who wrote this book last year about the entitled The End of the Everything Bubble. He's a good friend of mine. I have to say, and I helped him with that book. So I'm just talking my book a bit, talking my book here, actually. Um, but he's switched his mandate um, to and be moved into the uh, flexible investment sector. And he's performed very well last year. He was up about 10% last year in NAV terms, uh, which is uh, interesting. And it's also trading at a discount. So I think there are some wider areas. And I would also say over the medium term, I do think we're moving into a period where commodities and uh, uh, resources generally are going to do quite well, uh, and therefore they do have defensive values. They do better when uh, when the uh, equity trust, general mainstream equity trust, are doing poorly, because uh, you know when we get bear markets, it's typically associated with rising commodity prices. So I would mention you know BlackRock World Mining and one or two of the uh, en renewable energy again. I think looks good on a medium medium term view. And just moving back to wealth preservation strategies, our IT Capital Partners. I think, you know, historically, this was viewed as a wealth preservation strategy, but now the jury is out, and um, particularly as, you know, it has a higher amount of exposure to equities compared to the free trusts um, previously mentioned. And um, some of that exposure is to unlisted companies, which, of course, their valuations, they're set behind closed doors. Well, it's been quite a lively topic, hasn't it? I mean, everybody's been talking about this in the last few weeks. Uh, I mean, RIT Capital Partners has a fantastic long-term track record since uh, it was started by Jacob Rothschild, or later Lord Rothschild, uh, back in the 1980s. I can remember when that was launched, funny enough. Uh, I go back that far. Uh, and it's done a fa fabulous job since then. It's like a kind of uh, family office, if you like. The Rothschilds have their own money in it, and, and therefore you have to think they're keeping a close eye on the shop. But you're absolutely right. Uh, the last five years, performance has been very disappointing. It's not actually doing what it uh, sets out to do which is to capture a lot of the upside in rising markets, but also limit the downside in uh, falling markets. And for over the last five years, it hasn't been so good. That may have something to do with the fact that Lord Rothschild is no longer, you know, personally directly involved. I'm sure he's keeping still an eye on the on the shop, as it were. Uh, so, yes, I think they've got uh, quite a lot of work to do to convince people that um, uh, that they should, uh, they're still doing what they set, set out to do. And they're trading on a discount, uh, you know, more than 10%. Uh, which is a lot wider than it has been for uh, a long time. You're right. So I think that's uh, one to put on the watch list. 
myself. Um, yeah, it has been worrying for a lot of people who have backed it for a long time. And now I wanted to move on to high growth strategies, which of course saw their um, performance negatively impacted last year by increases in interest rates. I know that you invest in Scottish Mortgage, as I do myself. So I was um, also interested to hear your thoughts on um, how sharply the share price of Scottish Mortgage has fallen since it peaked in uh, November 2021. Yes, well, there you are. That's a good example of a, of a trust that was massively in favour. It became so popular, it became almost ridiculous in a way, as indeed the whole stable of Bailey Gifford Investment Trust did. I mean, I actually did sell mine last year, I have to say. Uh, because they went up so much. I mean, I'm a buy and hold investor, but there's there's a limit to all these things. Uh, and I got rid of them at some point during last year. Um, but having said that, if you want to look at it now, I mean, I think they, they have got a fabulous strong, long-term record. If you go look back what happened in 2008, they did even worse than they have done this year in the last 12 months. Uh, and the trouble really started for these growth uh, stocks that they invest in and the private uh, companies that they invest in. That actually started in, in 2021. Uh, 2022 just accelerated that process. But it's interesting, you know, if you look at the share price and you and you put a kind of long-term uh, curve through it, they're just about back to where they were uh, if they'd carried on growing at the rate they were before their remarkable year in 2021 when they went up by 100%, which was, you know, what kind of uh, investment trust ever goes up by 100% in a year? I think that was a bit of a, bit of a, a red flag, if you like. And the same goes for the technology trusts. You know, Allianz Technology and Polar Capital Technology, they went up so much so fast, you know, too good to be true, frankly. Uh, and therefore, even only on risk grounds, you should be reducing your holdings in those trusts when that kind of thing happens. And people are pouring in in large numbers. They're issuing massive amounts of shares. That's always a time to be, well, you know, to be a little bit more cautious. So I think they'll come back. I, I mean, I have no worries about Scottish mortgage over the medium, longer term. Uh, likewise with the technology trusts. I'm not quite sure that the time to buy them is now, but um, if you already own them, yeah, hang on to them by, and maybe even top them up a little bit because over five, 10 years, I think they'll do very well. Bailey Gifford is a very good firm and they have uh, a lot of things going for them. Well, I have hung on for now um, and it, you know, it might be an investment that, I, as you mentioned, that I consider topping up because um, obviously since November 2021, the share price has fallen a long way. But um I invested in it 10 years ago. So the short-term pain um, that you know some investors have experienced, it has obviously a less of an impact on investors that have held the shares for a long time. But I think you know, if you did buy at the start of 2022, it's gonna be quite it's gonna be hard to get back to even. Because as we know, when you you know, if you're 40% down, it doesn't it requires more than a 40% gain to get back to even. And of course, that's exactly the lesson you should take away. If if you're one of those people who did buy it at the top or on the you know close to the top. You should go back and have a good think about how you behave as an investor, because that's not very simple. When something's gone up that fast, you're just chasing what we call momentum, uh, you know, something that's very popular. And fads never last, uh, even if there's good underlying performance. So, yeah, have a rethink. Go back and think about the way you react to uh, market moves uh, and maybe learn for the future. You know, Did the unlisted exposure that Scottish Mortgage has, which is um, currently at its maximum 30% weighting, did that have any bearing on your decision to sell the shares last year? Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that talking about fads, I mean, this has been a fad we've seen over and over again in the last uh, three, four years. A lot of uh, funds and trusts have come out and said, oh, we must get into the private uh, space because there's lots more assets there for a start. And the stock, public stock markets have been shrinking. The number of companies listed on stock markets have been shrinking, uh, which is an interesting phenomenon. Uh, and so the argument is, well, they're much, there's more of them, 
and they're much better, you know, you can make much bigger returns out of them. Well, the answer to that is you can uh, if you're very hands-on. And I think Scottish Mortgage, you know, have handled their uh, portfolio quite well. But when it gets up, it's already up against their limit, the amount that they can put into uh, private uh, unlisted companies. Uh, because of the falls we've seen in valuations, they can't be sold easily. And so they're right up against their limit and they can't invest in any more, even if they wanted to. And it's constraining that whole approach. So I think um, it's a big factor behind why their shares are sold off. Uh, people are worried about the valuations of private equity companies. And even though, as you know, Bailey Gifford are, uh, do better than most in the way they bring their valuations up to date. Yeah, it's been a big concern. I think from a strategic point of view, maybe a mistake. And certainly some of these Me Too funds and trusts, there are quite a few in the investment trust space, which have followed them into this kind of strategy, I think might come to regret it. I wouldn't be surprised if over time that 30% weight into unlisted exposure it's actually becomes higher, 40 or 50%. But of course, um, that would need to be put to a, a shareholder vote. I think in general, a key lesson um, over the past year or so for growth-focused strategies, it's you know, it serves as a reminder to investors to diversify by investment style and also to potentially diversify by the fund management company that's managing the investment trust. Bailey Gifford, for example, it, you know, it's high growth strategy. It's implemented across um, a range of its investment trusts. So I think it's important to not just buy investment trusts from one, one stable. Oh, absolutely. Diversification, yes, very important. I mean, I think I may pick up, I'd sort of modify that slightly in this sense. Um, we've had an incredibly long period of falling interest rates until, you know, last year. Uh, and that's been very favorable to growth strategies. And so from a kind of big, picture, a top-down look at the world we're investing in, where interest rates are falling, you know, that's good for growth strategies generally. And the period since the global financial crisis has been good for that. Uh, it looks like that's coming to an end, or at least has come to an end with the, the rise in bond yields that we've seen in the last uh, few months. Uh, could be a significant turning point. And that in turn could be very good for, you know, value strategies, i.e. the other approach uh, to the one that uh, Bailey Gifford and others have been taking. Uh, so I think that's certainly a case you should be looking at uh, uh, trusts that follow a value approach as well as growth ones, and particularly ones that generate a uh, a good dividend, well-covered dividend over, over a period of time. Uh, I think they'll do well in relative terms. Uh, they may not do as well as the growth trust did in the period we just come to an end of, but I think they'll do quite well. And I would just mention, though, that Bailey Gifford, um, I mean, they do have one other trust, which is uh, Scottish American Investment Trust, uh, Saints, as it's known, uh, which pursues a completely different strategy. It's not a growth strategy. It's an income strategy. It's in the global equity income space. And I think that one will do quite well. But uh, I mean, you can't blame Bailey Gifford for the fact that a lot of other investment trusts, boards of directors came to them and said, will you take on managing our trust, which is not doing very well because it may have a value bias, about three or four of those. Uh, and they launched a couple of new ones too. You know, if, if investors are willing to back a growth strategy just because it's popular, they're going to have to, you know, I'm afraid, pay the price for perhaps being a little bit uh, naive about that. And I include those boards of directors in that, actually. Are there any particular value strategies that you pick out? I mean, I think for the UK, the one that instantly comes to my mind is a Temple Bar Investment Trust. Yes, Temple Bar is an interesting one. I, I like that one. Um, and there's a case where, you know, the chairman of the board there is a, is a financial historian. So he knows that what goes up goes down. Uh, and he was very clear that when the... When the uh, former manager left uh, after a period of very, very poor performance. Um, 
he he was he and the board were very clear that they're going to stick to the value style because they knew from historic in, from historical precedents that it's when these styles are way out of favour that that's the best time to uh, to go with them. So he stuck with the value style of Temple Temple Bar, and uh, they've done well. Um, another classic uh, value investment trust is Aberforth Partners, uh, Aberforth Smaller Companies Trust. They follow what's called a deep value approach, so they're really looking for things that are on very low PEs and uh, have good balance sheets and uh, strong dividend records. Uh, and I think they'll do quite well as well. So yes, there are value opportunities out there, uh, and uh, maybe this is their uh, their time is just beginning. Maybe for the next uh, year or two, anyway. And finally, Jonathan. So the start of the year, as we know, it's it's when investment predictions are made. I thought you know to end this podcast, we could break from that tradition and look into our crystal balls even further into the future to both make a prediction on how the investment trust industry will change over the next decade. So do you want to go first? I'm glad you asked this question because I never make one year ahead predictions because they are, frankly, worthless. So <laughs> nobody knows in the short term what, what the markets are going to do. You, you know, for longer term, different matter. But yes, OK, I'm very happy to have a go at that. So I'll mention uh, a couple of things. I think number one, one thing I can say with confidence is that the investment trust sector will look completely different to where it looks now in 10 years' time. Uh, there is a Darwinian process at work in the investment trust sector, which is one of its great strengths in the underperforming uh, trusts that do, by and large, go out of business. Uh, boards put them out of business, or if they don't, shareholders do. Uh, and that's something which is a big difference from open-ended funds, where they, you know, they can drag on as dogs for a long, long period before they're put out of their misery. So number one, there will be a lot of change and the, sec- uh, the overall composition will look very different. We'll probably lose almost half of the existing investment trust by the time 10 years come around. But hopefully we'll get another 50% come in with something new. So that's my first prediction. Number two would be, um, I think we'll have seen more, many more investment trusts adopt uh, discount control mechanisms. At the moment, there's only about 50 out of uh, 400 or so who have strict discount control mechanisms. And even then, some of them don't follow them quite as rigorously as they should. Um, uh, but discounts are voluntary in, in the sense that uh, since 1999, when the rules changed, you can always uh, set yourself up to say protect your discount by, uh, by issuing new shares or, uh, uh, or buying them back in again. So I think we'll see more trusts adopt that policy as they realize the, how efficient that is over the longer term. Uh, so that's my second prediction. And my third prediction is that um, I hope to see it's more of a hope than uh, an expectation. I think we will see a lot of the existing alternative investment trusts uh, disappear. Probably about half of them will disappear. But I do think there'll be a lot more coming along, having seen the success of those we've seen since the uh, global financial crisis. Uh, I think we'll see them across a wider range of asset classes. Uh, and hopefully they will. that will help to provide the kind of diversification that you were talking about earlier. Well, I feel like, you know, if we were on countdown, I'd have to show me answers because um, I was going to say exactly the same thing that you've made in point one, which is that, you know, I think there will be a lot more consolidation over the next uh, decade. I mean, I think there's there's just under 400 investment trusts at the moment. And I was going to say that um, I'd be surprised, you know, if, if there are 300 in 10 years' time. I know you said that that might halve. So um, your prediction's um, bolder than mine um, because... Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I think there's too many subscale investment trusts that are failing to stand out from the crowd. There's a lot of trusts with assets of 100 million or less, and I just don't see how those trusts are going to survive in the next 10 years. The strong will get stronger, 
and there'll continue to be high demand for 20 to 30 of the most popular investment trusts that um, investors will mainly buy. And then they also have some exposure to alternative assets as well, because that is a better, you know, alternative assets held in an investment trust is a much better structure than uh, open-ended funds. And I hope and think, I think communicating with the end investor is going to become even more important. I think there's some trusts that, you know, they have good track records, but they have a small amount of assets. And I do think that is that is, how, that is down to how they're communicating their um, strategy to investors and um, they're potentially not communicating it well enough or effectively enough. I think that the importance of you know speaking to people like yourself and, and like me as well and communicating with the end investor, that'll become even more important over the next 10 years. That'll have a big bearing on the success or failure of an investment trust as well as its performance. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what you say is true. And I think it is encouraging that the amount of interest that we've had, for example, with the, the Investor Trust Handbook and with the podcasts and things that you and I both do, uh, that's encouraging. It says that, you know, more investors are coming in. Obviously, we have to hope that they, you know, we always say you need to be a somewhat more sophisticated investor to invest in investment trusts. It's not uh, trying to be condescending or anything. It's just saying it takes a little more time to get used to how they work. Uh, and and let's hope that, you know, not too many people have been sucked into the investment trust sector uh, by their better communications and by this strong performance they've had over the last two, three years, and then become disenchanted and then leave the sector behind. So I'm hoping that, I think the trends you mentioned are all right. Uh, the fact that you can now invest in them on many platforms is very good news. Uh, and you can do your own research and there's a lot more information coming out from investment trusts now. They used to be a bit of a, a kind of a magic circle thing. Not now. Everybody realizes they've got to get out there and tell their story. And they are doing that on the whole. Um, but they will. we will lose quite a lot because they won't be able to meet that threshold, as you say. Um, but the ones that remain will be will be stronger for it. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. And thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. And if you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions, and tell us what you want us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. In the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.